Well, today we continue in our sermon series titled The Church, Metaphors of the Beloved. You know, the church is much maligned by this world and undervalued, even by Christians who belong to her. But the church is actually the dearly loved people of God whom Christ died to redeem and to restore. And today we're going to look at the church being something so marvelous that that we have a hard time processing it. The church is God's temple. That's right, the people of God gathered as the church is the temple in which God takes up residence by the Holy Spirit. Now, if this is true, and it is, this changes everything for us. Our passage comes from the New Testament book of Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And and the first part of the passage um, describes what it's like to be far from God and to be cut off from the hope that can only be found in him. And then what we're going to see in the last few verses is that the same spirit of God um, that unites us all in Christ actually works in us to build this temple of God, the church. Okay, so Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at, at, a, at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we have this word before us. It it helps us to see um, with wonderful eyes from heaven just how on earth peace is found. The dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed through your son, and that changes everything for us. Help us to see how we, as the temple of the living God, are able to bring this peace to this world as well, we pray. Amen. You know, I think we will all agree that the world we live in is full of hostility. Just spend 20 minutes on social media, and you will just see so many people getting so angry with each other. 
For some reason, people, all kinds of people say evil things to their so-called friends on Facebook or Instagram, things that they would perhaps never say directly to their faces. Everyone is so convinced that their view of politics or mask wearing or border walls is true and that all who disagree aren't just wrong. In fact, they're actually evil and they are deserving of scathing comments. Now, just how is humanity to resolve this problem? One approach is the John Lennon approach. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with his song that he had, Imagine. I really like the melody to it. Uh, but there's some issues with the words. Here's what he says. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. This melodic song by Lennon summarizes the worldview of secular culture that, that was really prominent towards the end of the 20th century. It, it challenges us to picture a world um, without what he sees to be its root cause, that of alienation and hostility, religion. And so peace would come only with the end of all religion. But I think as we look at the 20th century, that 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 whole um, that, that whole approach has been proven false. Consider Hitler and Stalin and Mao. They produced the greatest mass murderings and slaughter that no crusader could ever be compared against. Collectively, these atheistic countries murdered more than 100 million people. They confirm Dostoevsky's dictum, if God is not, everything is permitted. That's the first approach to unity on earth. Imagine the end of all religions. There's a second approach that's gained some traction today. It's imagine the blend of all religions. You've seen the coexist bumper stickers. They're kind of cute, I get it. But what we see though is university professors and talk show hosts tell us with great confidence that, that all religions um, provide paths to the same God so peace will come when we blend all the best, best ideas from different religions. Now, if you just look at all the hostilities just on social media these days, you have to come to the conclusion that no one wants to give up their closely held beliefs in order to blend into one society on earth. So Here's what I hope you understand about these supposed solutions to hostility on earth. Neither of them actually tear down the wall of hostility. John Lennon, when he says, I hope someday you'll join us, he is saying that, that being on his side of the fence is the right side, and all of you on the other side, we hope you'll join us, but you're wrong, right? There's still the wall there. And the coexist folks, they say all religious paths lead to the same God, and it sounds nice. I kind of agree. I wish sometimes I kind of wish that were true. But guess what? That's just an unproven claim. They have no proof of that. That's just how they feel. And so they will say, we on this side of the fence, we know that there's many paths and they all lead to the same God. And you on the other side of the fence, you say there's only one path to God and you're wrong and we're right. 
And so do you see, neither approach is a viable solution to our problem of hostility. Thankfully, though, God has a different plan for humanity, a third way, a way that actually tears down the wall that divides, the wall that divides us from God and also a wall that divides us then from each other. And it's a plan that's so wonderful that it is able to unite people of all different kinds of backgrounds. Our text shows us that God is the one who once and for all puts away hostility and makes peace on earth. Paul tells this church in Ephesus that God has united the absolutely most unlikely people ever, Jews and Gentiles. You think Yankee fans and Red Sox fans are toxic. (laughs) Nothing compares with the hostilities in Jesus' day between Jew and Gentile. And so Paul shows us that since the gospel has unified Jew and Gentile, guess what? There's hope for the world. There's hope for us. Now, Why would Paul need to write this to the Ephesians and tell them about how God has unified Jew and Gentile into one temple, the church? Because unity in the church is hard. We often fail in the church to live as we should. We re-erect these walls between us. Instead of pursuing peace and purity and purpose within the church, we can be oh so critical. We erect walls that divide us. And so what we need to focus on this morning is this. The church actually is the temple of the living God. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to do so under three headings, kind of like a building, physical building. We're going to look at the building materials. We're going to look at the building formation. And lastly, the building function. First, the building materials. This this should really amaze us. God, God chose the most unlikely building materials with which to build a temple in which he dwells. He has chosen fallen, sinful, rebellious, angry human beings. In the ancient world, there was no greater dividing wall of hostility, as I said, than that between Jew and Gentile. This wasn't God's plan. The nation of Israel, as you know, was chosen by God so that, that through the nation, all the people of the world would be what? Would be blessed. God redeemed his people, and he gave them the tabernacle, and then later a more permanent temple. Why? Because God continually said this, and this is the theme of the entire Bible. I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. God's purpose for his people of Israel was that he would make them holy, and this grace would transform them into into people who loved God and loved their neighbors, even Gentile neighbors. The problem was, over time, the nation neglected the mercy and the grace of God. They rejected God's calling to be a blessing to the nations. And instead, they lived with prideful hostilities towards all who were not Jewish. Gentiles became despised. And yet Jesus, and Jesus alone, was able to tear down the dividing wall of hostilities between Jew and Gentile and unite them, unite us into one people. So what I want to do is I want to reread verses 12 through 18. And and as I do, I want you really to listen in and pick up on how amazing this work of God is through Jesus, how he has brought peace, how he's removed hostility. Verse 12, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, listen, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, listen, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's an amazing passage of Scripture, is it not? Paul is saying some amazing things here. First, the people of God are no longer a a nation of Israel gathered around a physical temple inside national borders. The people of God are now Jew and Gentile. The two have become one. Those who were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near. Now, Ephesus was a 1,000 kilometers away from Jerusalem where the temple was. So, so being brought near must be spiritual, not physical. And now we see that God, God's people are scattered, scattered outside the nation's borders. The covenant promises now belong to people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And how was this dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile dealt with? God sent a child to make peace by breaking down the wall of hostility. The wall must come down. Whatever approach you have towards peace, it must somehow dismantle the wall and make two become one. In 1962, Don and Carol Richardson moved to Papua New Guinea as missionaries to the Sawi people. The Sawis were separate tribes of Yes, cannibalistic headhunters. Various tribes lived in hostility towards each other. They were constantly at war. Richardson's, they found it so difficult to to convey the gospel message, especially since the Sawis, they they placed such high regard on deception and trickery. It took an, an amazing event for Don to finally see a way to convey the gospel. The tribe where the Richardsons lived had been involved in a brutal war with a neighboring tribe. The Richardsons had little kids, and they feared for their lives, and the Richardsons told the tribes that if there was no way to make peace, then the Richardsons had to leave. But no one in all the tribes wanted them to go. So the tribes did something amazing. Listen, each tribe gave an an infant boy from their tribe to the other tribe. That child was to live and grow up in the other, in the enemy's tribe. And as long as that child lived, there would be peace between those tribes. Amazing, right? Finally, Richardson figured out a way how to, how to share the gospel with the Sawi. God sent his own son to be our peace child. And that is what Paul presents in our passage. God sent his own son to make peace. 
because we look with eyes of faith to Jesus, God's peace child, we now have peace with God the Father. That, that wall has been broken down. And do you remember when Jesus was on the cross giving his last breath and he died? Remember what happened in the temple a few miles away? That giant curtain from floor to ceiling. It was as thick as the width of a man's hand. It was ripped from top to bottom. The wall that divided um, God's people in the temple from God's presence was, was literally torn down. That's what Paul is saying Christ has done in this passage. Jesus is God's peace child that has broken down the dividing wall between us and God, but also between us and other believers. No matter what nation, tribe, or tongue we come from, Paul writes that Jesus is our peace. And the result is, instead of two men, we have one man, one body, one spirit. And what has happened to the hostility? Amazingly, Paul writes in verse 16 that that in Christ, God has reconciled us in one body, thereby killing the hostility. (laughs) What a remarkable phrase. Hostility on earth is killed off by the grace that God gives us in Christ. And so what are the building materials of this amazing temple of God? The material is us, sinners saved by grace. What a most unlikely building material with which for God to build a temple. As we ponder this truth this morning, it should leave us humbled. You know, Paul began this passage in verse 11 saying, we are to remember all this. We all were once people who were far off from God's people. We were once strangers without hope and without God. That is who we were. Isn't that good to remember that? (laughs) Do not the walls come down more and more when we remember who we once were before Christ came into our lives? Do you ever find yourself withdrawing from other Christians? Do you ever find yourself judging others and evaluating others? Well, remember at one point you were far off too but that God has brought you near through the blood of his peace child. The Lord has killed hostility, killed it through the work of his cross. So the temple is made up of building material. It's people whom God has made peace with through the cross of his peace child, his son. Now let's look at the building formation. Well, three weeks ago, uh, our parking lot was ripped up, torn up, and we had an all-new parking lot repaved there. But it wasn't just the asphalt that needed repair. You know, so many of those Belgian blocks uh, that were out there that formed the edge of the parking lot needed fixing. Over the years, uh, snow plows seemed to somehow dislodge them, like hundreds of them. And some some of these Belgian blocks have been just sitting in the weeds for years. Our contractor came and he poured a foundation of fresh concrete and he made sure the corners were all perfectly aligned and straight and then he laid each Belgian block in its proper place, one next to the other on top of the foundation. And in the end, these Belgian blocks formed a beautiful straight line and hopefully the hardened concrete will keep them there for years to come. This image of Blocks being laid upon a foundation is what Paul is describing in verses 19 through 22. Just as the physical temple in the Old Testament era had a sure foundation, 
and perfectly aligned to the cornerstone, so too this spiritual temple, which is the church. We have a sure foundation, and we have a cornerstone with which to align our lives. Paul begins where any good builder would begin, with the foundation. The strength and the durability of the building rests upon its foundation. And that is true of the church, too. Now, what is the foundation upon which the church, the temple of God, is built? Paul says in verse 20 that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Prophets were God's mouthpieces. They proclaimed the word of God to the people of God. The Old Testament prophets pointed us, pointed us towards Christ who was yet to come. And the New Testament apostles, they walked with Christ and they now point us to Christ who has come. The word of God given to the church through the apostles and the prophets, that is the foundation of this temple. Christian, let us be reminded that the very foundation of your inclusion into this living temple is the very word of God. The word of God attended by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit gives us new life and it causes us to, so to speak, to be a new stone that becomes laid upon the structure this building of living stones. All of us here who have trusted in Christ, we, we have been laid upon this same foundation. Though there is great diversity in the body, we share the foundation, which is God's word. That's the foundation for the temple, but there's also a cornerstone. You know, they did some excavating a number of years ago and where the old temple was in Jerusalem. And they found this giant stone. It was a monolith excavated from the southern wall of the temple. It measured 38 feet, 9 inches in length. That's huge. That's like this whole sanctuary here. It was a cornerstone. It's a, the cornerstone is the first stone in the foundation that is to be laid. All the other stones are to be aligned with it. So the, so the cornerstone was often the largest uh, squarest stone in the foundation. And the builders took most careful attention with that first stone because all the other stones were to align up with it. So the chief cornerstone of the temple which God is building is Christ himself. Paul wants us to see clearly that Jesus is holding us and he's growing us into the temple as a unity. Paul says that Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This tells us something important this morning. Unless we as a church are constantly and continually securing ourselves in Christ, looking to him, aligning our lives to him and his plans for us, his purpose for us, unless we do that, our unity will dissolve. You know, much of this world rejects Jesus as the cornerstone. It's sad, but it is to be expected. In the last few days before Jesus was crucified, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day. They, they of all people, what? They should have welcomed him. The religious leaders should have promoted Jesus to the people, saying, look, he's the one the prophets have been speaking of. But rather they mocked Jesus, right? And they sought his death. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus knew what was going on. It did not surprise him. He knew his scriptures. The psalmist had, had predicted it. And so you can read it. It's in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus speaks to them, and he quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22. Here we read, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures... 
the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Wow. Jesus sees himself as the fulfillment of Psalm 118. Jesus knew that he would be a rejected stone, but that God would take him and make him to be the cornerstone. Amazing, right? When all the religious leaders and political rulers in Jesus' day looked to Jesus and they just saw just an ordinary stone, nothing special about this man, they saw no cornerstone upon which to align themselves. They are the builders who rejected the stone of Christ. Oh, to have that description firmly attached to you. But listen, the very stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and this is marvelous in the eyes of those who look upon him in faith. Grace Church, the one who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility is the one that we look to and align our lives to as our cornerstone. The life of the Christian is to be intimately aligned with Christ. So let me ask you, is your life aligned with Christ? I mean aligned, not off just a little, aligned. Are you cemented in with your brothers and sisters here at Grace Church or another church, and you're, and you're looking to Christ to find your identity and purpose? See, with the Spirit of God dwelling in us, as we look together to Christ, guess what happens? We become like Christ. And think about it. If there ever was a person who was in the right, it was Jesus. If anyone had the right to tweet toxic statements, it was Jesus. But Jesus never became unhinged. Even as he was being brutally crucified, we read that he was like a lamb, silent. How is that possible? Because he knew he was going to the cross. And on the cross, he knew what he was going to do. He was going to kill hostility. So how on earth could he live in hostility? Even to those who betrayed him and crucified him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus lived in his life. He realized the cross was going to tear down that wall of hostility. My friends, do you see how beautiful Jesus is? Do you see why he is the one that we are to look to and align our lives to? He is the cornerstone. All right, so we looked at the building materials, the building formation. Now for the building's function. What, what, what is God's purpose for us as his temple. Well, we could probably come up with a lot of things. I'm just pulling three from verses 21 and 22. The first is unity. God desires unity for his temple, the church. Twice Paul uses the word together to describe God's purposes for us. In verse 21, he says, Paul says we're being joined together. And in verse 22, he says we're being built together. Listen, just as it's 
really silly to think that bricks or stones scattered out in a field are themselves a temple. So too it is silly for us to think that, that being the temple of God is something that you can do apart from other stones. <laughs> Just as those Belgian blocks that laid in the weeds only found usefulness as they were cemented to other blocks to form a beautiful border for our parking lot, so you too, Christian, are meant to be cemented into the lives of others in the church. So let me ask you, are you a Belgian block lying in the weeds? Or are you a Belgian block cemented to others, aligned to Christ, bound up with them, aligned with them? Also, are you at peace with others in the church? You know, you can be actively involved in a church while still being hostile to those in the church. It is only after we remember that we too were once far off from God, that we too are only part of the temple by God's grace. Only then are we able to look to Christ as our cornerstone and delight in him and then delight in the other stones that we've been joined to. And as we do so, listen, as we look to Christ, the hostility becomes killed off in us. Does it not? How can it not? Does this make sense? So one of God's great purposes for the church is that we display gospel unity into the world, that, that we would live our lives together with hostility killed off. This is one of the purposes for the church. The other is that we grow spiritually. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Verse 21. The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, remember the word holy has two qualities to it, right? The one that typically comes first to our mind is the sense of holiness uh, as it relates to purity. God is holy in the sense that he is pure and good and lovely and beautiful. With God, there are no blemishes. But the word holy also conveys a second idea, that of being set, of, set apart by God for God's purposes. Remember in the Old Testament how God would have the priests take just ordinary things like bowls and instruments and, and altars and, and, and they would sprinkle blood or water on them, right? And, and what were they doing? They were setting them apart as holy unto God so that God could use them in the temple. Christian, that is what your baptism signifies. God has sprinkled you or immersed you or whatever uh, with water to signify the cleansing work of the blood of Christ. Christian, understand this. God has set you apart for him. This is his work, not ours. We have been made holy. Depending upon the context, the Greek word hagios can, mean, can be translated either with the word holy or with the word saints. A saint is someone who's been set apart or made holy holy by God's grace. Saints aren't the really special ones who like do all the right things and get told, you know, she's a saint, you know. Uh, no, we are all saints. We are set apart ones, set apart by God. Everyone who trusts in Christ, believes in Christ, is a saint. It's not something you do. It is something God has already done for you. 
And, and when, you get, when, when, that, when that begins to click in our minds, things begin to change. See, we think, oh, i got to be holy in order to please God. So my Christian life is i got to go out and do all these holy things and somehow earn some favor. No. I mean, God has already made you holy. So be holy. Right? God has already done the work for you, so it naturally makes sense that we would live out this holiness. God has, God has made us separate and distinct as his people, so let us live this way. Do you see yourself this way, set apart into God's family, his temple? You know, I think Christians would become more holy in the moral sense, the purity sense, if we saw more clearly that we had already been set apart as holy by God for his purposes, right? Spiritual growth happens when we look at what is already true that God has done for us, God has set us apart, sprinkled us with his blood of his son for his holy purposes. So we've been made holy, let us be holy. And it's God's grace then that, that, that changes us, it grows us spiritually. So then God's temple, uh, in his temple, our purpose is unity and spiritual growth. Lastly, kingdom advancement. Remember, God's promise to Abraham was, was that through God's people, all the nations in the world would be blessed, and this still holds true to this day. Listen, why does God take up residence in his people, the church? Why? Because he loves human beings made in his image, and by his Holy Spirit working in us, God desires to spread his kingdom further and further into this world. The church is God's temple, and it's growing every year. It is a living temple. Every generation, more and more stones are being stacked on the foundation. God desires to advance his kingdom on earth. Why? Because this world needs it. There's no other way on this earth that this dividing wall of hostility could ever be torn down other than through the gospel. Remember when Peter and the disciples answered Jesus' question when he asked them, but who do you say I am? Remember that? Peter said, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And then what did Jesus do? He said to the disciples, and I tell you, you, Peter, on this rock, this confession that you just made, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven, without going into all the details of that. I just want you to understand that, 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 that Jesus said to Peter, the apostle, who is the foundation of the church, that on this wonderful confession, that I'm the Christ, the Savior of this world, this is going to advance into this world, and the gates of hell cannot stand up against it. What does that tell us? It tells us that the enemy is on the defense, <laughs> right? We're the ones, we're not to be offensive <laughs> as Christians, but we are on the offense. The church is what Jesus is building. We are on a mission to bring the light of God's grace and the gospel to a world that is living in darkness and ignorance. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Please understand this. This is a spiritual battle we are in. And we cannot do it in our own strength, nor can we do it apart from each other. 
I mean, think about it. What was the purpose in the Old Testament for the temple? It was a place where God drew near to sinful man, and sinful man drew near to God. It's the place where God's mercy came to mercy-needing people. And so to us, as God's temple on earth today, God uses us, he dwells in us, so that as we draw near to sinful people, they experience the grace and mercy of God, and as they draw near to us, uh, we, bring, we bring mercy and grace to them as they draw near to the Heavenly Father. That's a beautiful picture of what the church is, right? It's the temple where God's grace goes out and needy people come in. Grace Church, we're the temple of the living God. So let us live with unity, the unity that God gives us in the gospel. Jesus has torn down the wall of hostility. And so let us live with great love and unity with each other. Let us commit to being saints, right? We're saints. Hi, saint. Hello, saint. You're a saint. All right. We are saints. We are set-apart ones who are spiritually alive by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. That should boggle our minds. And with this truth, let us then hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is good. We've been made holy, so let us pursue it. God dwells in us. We are the temple of the living God. And when we're being led by the Spirit, you can be sure that more and more people will hear the gospel because of us. I mean, it's an amazing fact. We are the temple of the living God. This should humble us deeply. We, yeah, we. Not many of you were bright or wise when you came to know Jesus. That's not me. That's Paul saying that. We are the building materials. We are all sinners saved by grace. And yet God has formed us together with the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and he's lining us all up together with Christ as our cornerstone. So let us encourage each other to commit to Christ, to look to Christ, to align our lives with him so that we may serve God's great purposes. And our purpose is unity, and our purpose is spiritual growth, and our purpose is kingdom advancement. And as we seek all these things, we will see Long Island awakened to the glory of Jesus Christ, which is our vision. May God have his way in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, it really is humbling to think what you have done for mankind. With that first rebellion of Adam all the way to this day, you were passionately pursuing people, tearing down the wall of hostility through your son Jesus and bringing people into your family, and you call us your temple. We confess um, that we need to grow as your temple, grow closer to Christ, grow closer to each other, to be unified. May we all commit this week to allowing this beautiful gospel message to tear down any wall of hostility that we may have with others in our lives, within the church, within our community. Help us to be agents of peace for you and your glory, we pray. Amen.